This episode of the Wedding Film School Show is brought to you by Musicbed, the best music licensing platform for wedding filmmakers. Head over to themusicbed.com and enter our code WFS on checkout to get a free month on your annual wedding subscription. Now, on to the show. So we are the leading hospitality uh, training and consulting company. There's really not any other way to like teach people about like how people expect to be treated than just experiencing right. it firsthand, right? And that's, I think, in any industry, whether it's film, whether it's planning, whether it's design, you have to know what you're, you're talking about. If you want to sell good food, you got to eat good food. Do you notice what's important to that couple, to that day, also to that wedding planner? They put a bunch of effort into a floral wall or something, and it's this big thing. Why don't you film that? Like, well, that's not important to the couple. I'm like, they paid for it. One of the biggest mistakes, and I'm a huge advocate of all partners, videographers, photographers, any of them, not just talking to the planner. They have to talk to the couple. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Wedding Film School Show. My name is Jared Haskell. Welcome back for another uh, great episode, another guest episode. We have an awesome visitor today. Jason, how are you doing today? Good. I'm in um, in the thick of wedding season. Uh, I have a new child imminently to arrive. Um, and then my wife is essentially immobile. So um, I have a five-year-old as well that I'm... Uh, um, 100% responsible for. So things are, Why are just- are you podcasting right now? Things are just so <laughs> easy right now. Um, but you know what it makes me think about? It makes me think about today's guest. Because um, I remember being, um, I, I saw, this is Cindy, by the way, it's Cindy Devetney um, from Masters Connection. And we were at Engage on uh, what, 21? Yeah, 20, 21. <clears throat> 21, yep. Bahamas. And- she was a speaker, and everybody there was like really like, oh, my God, Cindy Novetny. And I was like, who's Cindy Novetny? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, this is the thing. I remember being in, and I was early, so I was sitting there, and you were running a little bit late because Bahamas, you know, out late, you know, up early, uh, up late, uh, uh, up early in the morning. Was and, I late? Uh, I think I was. I think you were late because I, I, no, I was I just looking, purposely sat away from you. This is the thing. I was, I was <laughs> looking through my phone for today's meeting, and I typed in Cindy's name, and then it said, you have to get here and listen to Cindy talk. You will love her. And you were like, okay, I, I'm, I'm, I just pulled in or whatever. So, yes. And it's funny because, like, literally five minutes into Cindy's presentation, I was like, Jay is going to love this person. She's going to be Jay's, like, favorite person of all time because yeah. they're so similar. So I was listening to her, and I was like, yo, this is some real talk. I'm into this. And and she, I don't honestly don't even remember what the talk was, but I remember it was good. And I remember I liked it. And I asked a question and later Cindy came up to me and, and, um, and I don't know if she knows how much this means to me, but she came up to me and she's like, Hey, you get it. And I was like, yeah. okay, okay. Okay. And so I was like, I want to have her on because if you don't know, um, and I'll ask, we'll introduce Cindy right now and then we'll have her, we'll have her talk about herself. So how you doing, Cindy? I'm doing great. I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on to our show. Um, so to, why don't you kind of, so Cindy is not a wedding filmmaker. She's not a wedding planner. In fact, she doesn't even specifically work in the wedding industry. But why don't you sure. tell, your wedding industry adjacent for sure. Tell everybody 
like what is your connection to the wedding industry and what do you guys do over at Masters uh, Connection? Okay. All right. Well, I have been in the hospitality industry my entire career. So uh, from the beginning, it was always uh, restaurants, nightclubs, hotels. So all things that. And then because of that, you do a lot of weddings. You know, you're the venue and you book a lot of weddings. So I actually, with the Engage Connection, uh, Rebecca and Catherine worked uh, at Disney. I did training. I worked for Disney as well. But then I became a sales trainer for Disney. And I was in Orlando when Disney Weddings was first being kicked off. And I trained both of those ladies. They were in some of the initial sales training workshops from a very young age. And they like learned and loved it. And then I continued um, training for Disney. And then when they went out on their own, and started to do this, I was one of the first people they called and said, you know, we were starting this incredible summit and we would love you to be there. And I, and that's when I even said, well, yeah, but I'm not a wedding planner. I mean, I'm a, I'm all about selling leadership service. They said, no, because everybody else will be about showing the pretty weddings and all the things they do. And really I had never in my life, I'd been around planners just of booking their business. But never, I mean, no way videographers, photographers, musicians, all the you know, florists, designers, all the stuff that goes into the audience of Engage. And, you know, now I'm on about the, I mean, it's been 10 years they've been doing it and, um, or it could be 15 now, but it's been a long time. And I've done probably all but uh, four of them right? Where I do a keynote, I do breakouts, I meet people like you, I never leave, I network at the events, I chat with everyone, you know, because some speakers, you know, it is they're they're there and then they're like, okay, I got to go. So that's how I became the, you know, go-to person for many people in that industry. Yeah, it's really interesting. And so, you know, one of the things that resonates um, with me is your connection to the hospitality industry. I was telling you before I'm pre-pro, like I am always viewing my wedding filmmaking business as a part of the hospitality industry. Right. I also really love luxury travel. I like high-end hotels. I feel like it's refined my palate. You know, I remember watching Euro Dreams of Sushi. He says, if you want to make good food, you have to eat good food. Right. I think, I think if you go into environments that will enhance you, you'll you'll connect with your couples more and so that's helped me so i was like really attracted to like some of your messages because the hospitality thing the idea of like creating experiences all that um tell everybody a little bit about what you do in that industry now with master connection so we are probably well i would say the leading hospitality uh training and consulting company in all luxury for sure. And then, but across the gamut. So, you know, it's not always just about luxury. It's holiday inns because you can get great luxury service at a Hampton at Garden Inn, at a Hilton Garden Inn at a Holiday Inn. I but stayed at a great Holiday Inn Express the other day. Great experience. Yeah, we, we do a lot in, in luxury hospitality as well. So we work with all the sales and the event and the catering and the wedding teams that book all this business globally, all over the globe. And then we also work with all the leadership. So we're working with, you know, GMs and directors of sales and marketing and directors of food and beverage and reservations and guest service, things like that, uh, on how to lead better and how to 
you know, get people to do a better job, be empowered and take care of this guest that's paying all this money. And then uh, we work with guest service. So right right down to people serving the food, the bartenders, the housekeepers, anybody that is actually doing any of that, you know, service work, we are right there, you know, helping them at all times. And I think that sets us apart because we know the business. We know the business very well. And the, the idea is that most people are not hands-on. We're very hands-on. I'm partners in a restaurant. I get it. And so that is, and that's, I think, in any industry, whether it's film, whether it's planning, whether it's design, you have to know what you're you're talking about. You know, you have to, and I like it. If you like to, you know, if you want to sell good food, you got to eat good food, yeah. right? How come um, they never, ever have a crib when I tell them ahead of time, I want a crib? Yeah, that's a problem. And they're supposed to have a crib. And you know the funny story of that? I can't believe you used that as an example. I use the example of when I first worked for Disney, I was in sales, but I worked in reservations too. And I hadn't traveled the world at all. And I found out that I took a, a reservation from a British couple and they asked for a cot. And because I really didn't go through any international training of how what people call things, different things in different parts of the world, a cot to me meant a rollaway. So I booked a rollaway for a nine-month-old and they needed a crib. And that's when I remember thinking to myself, we don't train right. There should be a list right on the wall of in Thailand, they call a crib this. In England, they call it this. And you see what I mean? And that's, that's part of the examples. I use that example all the time. But the fact that you ask for a crib and you don't get a crib is a big issue. I would say so. <laughs> it makes me upset, especially when yeah. it's a $1,200 night room. But um, Exactly. But anyway, um, I digress. <laughs> Jared. Yeah. But I, it's I, a good example. Thank you. Totally. I, I think just as we've gotten into kind of the luxury wedding world, it's just that you see so many parallels between luxury hotels and and the luxury kind of wedding world for sure. Um, something that we did a couple of years ago when we were trying to elevate our staff, because it's not just about Jay and I, you know, understanding it and understanding what the luxury experience is. It's also kind of elevating your staff too, to help them understand and just put them in that world because there's really not any other way to like teach people about like how people expect to be treated in this world. Um, than just experiencing it firsthand, right? So we took them to a, a luxury hotel up in Vermont, got them away, and we're like, here's an experience. This is the experience that we want to give to our couples, to our planners, to, you know, through and through, um, I, I guess, through through all tiers. Um, why, why do you think, or how much of, of the um, kind of luxury world would you say is is the the, uh, the product, and then how much would it be like, the, the service and the experience? Would you say it's it's 100% or, or does that make sense? No, no, yeah, it's no. a combination because no. this is where uh, you can be in one of the top brands, the most luxury hotel brand and have crap service. And that is not going to go well. <laughs> That's not going to go well. Yeah. Okay. Right. Because it's if I'm spending and right now and this is a, this is an actual stat that has come out from a lot because I work with a lot of luxury travel advisors 
that right now over like 70% of luxury customers feel they're not getting the same value that they got before COVID. Mm. And let me explain why that is. It's that the rates have doubled, tripled, and quadrupled in some cases. Now, this isn't just luxury. I'm talking about Hilton, Marriott, Holiday Inn Express. Every rate has gone up because of the demand. So if you put it in the luxury segment, and I'm paying $1,800 a night, okay, for just a room, not a suite, just a room, and they don't have enough staff, and they took 24-hour room service down to ending at midnight, and you don't get- 10 o'clock and some. Yeah, and what? 10 o'clock and some. Yeah, oh yeah, that's gone, yeah, okay? And all those things and nuances, people are like, wait a minute, all right? So what's happening is people are trying to reset right now. We're trying to get everybody back. But you also have to know that the look and feel of luxury depends on the style of the the actual product and what the visiting guests want. So I actually love old school hospitality. I love some of the, the resorts and things that look older that aren't as modern-y and slick as some others. Now, I like a nice clean line, some modern hotels too, but it depends. I don't want so old that I have a huge old bedspread and that's dusty. It's not like that, but I like to have people greeting you with, with unbelievable, you know, panache and like, like, hello, and let me go ahead, Mrs. Devontney and get your bag and you come down. I love that. Where some of the luxury hotels have gone so simplified that you're checking in online, you know, it's pretty much chat GBT and it's just easy to do and it makes it nice for people. You can use your phone as your key. I'm not as, that's, but it's style. That's what I'm trying to say. There's a customer for every type and that applies to the brides today mm-hmm. and the wedding planners. There's one for every type. Every and to industry, me, right? luxury is knowing, yeah, knowing your customer. You gotta know who your customer is. And I believe, now I'm not, again, in the film world, I know that we adjust our style based on the customer. So, I mean, I do training for, you know, for hardware stores, all right? So when I'm training for hardware stores, I'm not in my Jimmy Choo's and my St. John's and walking in, you know, I'm wearing a pair of, you know, khakis and a blazer and I'm in there with guys and I'm training truck drivers, a driver for some of the biggest tent companies that put up tents for all the big luxury weddings. So I adjust what we do. And I think that's luxury. Luxury is knowing your customer and adjusting your style and approach. That's what we always say. It's it's all about as bespoke is the name of the game. Um, And of course, the level of exclusivity, but primarily customizing and creating experiences for people, films for people, relationships for people that they feel they have control over and that they feel represent them and their values. Like that's why, like if you go to a four seasons, I think they don't always deliver on this, but everything they do on their site is has children. Oh, and they, and they really do pride themselves. They, so I work for Ritz car. I know I train and I work a lot with four seasons. They're a huge client of ours. Um, but I, I was with Ritz Carlton for 13 years before Marriott took them over and we ran the, the Ritz Carlton Learning Institute. 
Ritz-Carlton and Four Seasons were very similar from the beginning of time, from Isidore Sharp that started Four Seasons to Horschelty with Ritz-Carlton. And they were the first of the first. Four Seasons actually being first of the first with the kids clubs, you know, phones in the bathroom, not that you need those anymore, but robes in the room, 24-hour room service. And Ritz-Carlton had a lot of that. They're Ritz kids clubs, things like that, kids for all seasons. So Four Seasons was one of the first ones to put kids clubs into city hotels mm-hmm. and pools. Okay. Because a lot of executives way before COVID, I'm talking 15 years ago or something, they were actually traveling with kids, mm-hmm. right? So either if the, if the mom didn't work, she went with them like for the business trip to New York or Boston or whatever. And then she played, but maybe wanted to go shopping and put the kids in, in the kids club. And that, you know, it, it depends on where the hotel is, but those are things where they started like the first little check-in in some of their hotels where the desk, they had a lower desk and the, the little Sunday brunches had its own little place. And I think that, I mean, I love that. Okay. Me too. And it's so, and whether you have kids or not, and I had, you know, my daughter's grown now, but I, you should see, even when I'm at a brunch or something, I love to walk over to that little kids. First of all, they have some of the stuff I want. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, oh, I really I want that waffle. And so I do think that those are the things where you you look at the nuances of who your customer is. Yeah, and I would say like when I walk into a hotel, and I'll relate this to filmmaking, so stay with me, filmmakers. But, you know, when I go to a hotel with my daughter, when she the hotel, the one Dalton in Boston, my my daughter goes, Oh, my hotel. That's her hotel, right? That's how she sees it, is my hotel. She leaves, and like they walk up and say, oh, wait, I have something for you. And they give like a little stuffed animal or something. And me as a dad, I'm like, you noticed. Yeah. You noticed. And I'll tell you this, not every employee at even that hotel notices. But it's that one, like that person on the ground who notices. Right. Right. And I think that is the same thing with your filmmaking is like, do you notice the relationships at the wedding? Do you notice the people that are connecting? Do you notice what's important to that couple, to that day, also to that wedding planner? Like, are you noticing? Like, if they're like, oh, you got it. Look, they put a bunch of effort into a floral wall or something. And it's this big thing. And you don't film it. And then I'd say to the guy, like, why didn't you film that? And they're like, well, that's not important to the couple. I'm like, they paid for it. Are you like... Stupid, like, and I think on that with film uh, and photography, I think one of the biggest mistakes, and I'm a huge advocate of all partners, videographers, uh, photographers, any of them, not just talking to the planner. They Mm -hmm. have to talk to the couple, Mm -hmm. and and it's I don't care who's paying, I don't care the mom and dad. This is not the couple. What are they going to look at 10 years from now? What do they want to remember? What are things that when they've gone to a wedding, what are things that they're thinking, oh, I want to make sure they capture that? It's not just the first look and it's not just the first dance or it's not just the the, the parents dancing with the, you know, the dad with the bride. And all. It's way more than that. And it might be something about that floral wall that ties into the kind of flowers that were the grandma's favorite flowers that isn't at the wedding. Yep. But and sometimes some people don't care about the floral wall because 
a planner just came up with an idea to do it. The bride doesn't even give a rip. The whole, the, it just gave the decor a really good look and it didn't really matter. And so I think the communication is the big issue. Yeah. Well, so one thing that we connected, I think the, I don't, my question was essentially something along the lines of why are people so lazy <laughs> at, at engage or, um, and something along the lines of work-life balance. Well, I think you, I remember, cause then I chatted with you at cocktails. I remember this like yesterday, right? You were, you were like, not everybody can do five weddings a year. Not everybody should do five weddings a year. And some of the, the very uber luxury planners, which do speak there, um, they've got to that point. But as I always say, they didn't get there overnight. So if I'm sitting in that audience and I'm listening to one of the celebrity planners, and there's several of them there that handle a lot of the big stuff and make a lot of money, and they didn't get there overnight. Well, and they're also and they, not working like 10 hours. They're killing themselves on five weddings. Yeah. And they've got more of a staff now than they might have had before. And I think what you were seeing and what we chatted about was, and where you thought like, why would they be so lazy not to do more? Is that if I'm 30 or 25, there's a lot of, you know, planner, stationary, floral, design, photographer, videographer, and I'm just starting in my career, I better bust my ass because you can't win the lottery, okay, if you don't keep buying lottery tickets. And I look at it and then you, chances are slim to none. So part of my big message always is that you have to put, like, put yourself out there. I am still on the road traveling like a maniac and I've got, you know, we have a company of 40 people and I'm not stopping. Now, part of it is that, you know, 2020, we had to, you know, we had tons of postponements as well that were paid and we were not doing any refunds, but we had to do the work. Like you have to do the work. Okay? Yeah, just do two years of work in one year. Right, exactly. And so we had to double up on that. But first and foremost, our industry, the clients that we have, I'm speaking at more universities and hospitality universities. None of that. I wouldn't be being asked to speak at Cornell and Boston University, which I am, all those years ago because they would have gone, who is she? Like, who is she? Okay. And by the way, I would have nothing to share. I would have been like, wow, I just I've got going on this and I'm doing pretty good. And there's where I think people get a false sense of security. Okay. When anyone says, well, it's not the same now as it was for you. That is BS. Yes, it is. You have to pay the piper. You have to, and it's not about paying dues. It is about who you know, but how do you know who you know if you're not out there meeting people? And the only way to meet people is to get out there and bust it. And there's a customer behind every customer. But you have to have a sales mentality. You're creative. You're a videographer. You're clever. You're sharp. You're smart. You're a photographer. You've got every angle. You've got this. Okay. Someone's got to sell you. And 90% of the time, it's you selling you. ABC. Always be closing, right? ABC. Yeah. It always seems like people that take lesser and lesser events think that is the end goal. And the goal is like, no, the goal is like make as much money as possible, have like a great business, thriving business. Like 
that's, I think, a very healthy goal. I think a lot of people, at least in our industry, are like, well, if I can get it down to five weddings a year, then I'll be successful. It's like, you have to create that demand, man. Yeah. Like, And it's almost like this facade. And then they, we've seen people go down to five and then they're like, this is not sustainable. The amount I of people I know. to go back up to 15 or 20 yeah. or 30. Yeah. Like, yeah. The amount of people we talk to, Jared, that, that you, they either go into education and they tell people to do five weddings, but then they're making 80% of the revenue off education now, which I'm like, right. that's, you're still telling people, you you're not telling people the whole truth or they go throttle down to 10. They, and I was going to ask you about niching down later, but they niche down so much that there's like seven customers that would actually work with them that are and willing to pay their rates. And then they're like, Oh crap. I have, what one. if I lose one? Yeah, right. or not, or like right. literally, they can't. They they don't anticipate the the like what's about to happen to them. And I'm always telling people like, all the best people I know who are really really successful are yeah they show all that sexy stuff. The, what is that? We always in our industries we say ten for the real, one for the or ten for the meal, one for the real. <laughs> it's like <laughs> that's great. It's ten that, for the real, one for the meal. That no. is that's classic. But it's like, like you, you're most of what you're doing is paying the bills, and then you, you show one piece of great work to attract the customer you want. But I think, and that's sales. That's sales 101. Like you, you, you idealize your own product to your ideal customer. But people don't get that. They think everything is reality, and they think that there's this, there's a romance, and a, and I believe in exclusivity. So my question to you is. Why do you think, besides the fact that people are super lazy, um, why do you think so many people, I can say it, you don't, it's my show. Exactly, <laughs> you, you can say anything you want, I love but, it. But why, why do you think people place such a prestige on, like, they would call it work-life balance. I would say just not working that much. Right. Okay, so there's a couple things. One is, and let's go back to the comment you made about the photographers or videographers that get into the business and then 10, 20% of it is out shooting and 80% is teaching and starting all this education, right? I think you mentioned that. Yeah, that's kind of a scam that people do, sure. So, <laughs> so I look at it this way. I actually am not going to ever go take any class from anyone that isn't a subject matter expert master in their craft and highly successful and killing it and making bank and rich. And because I don't, I, I want to own the car and the house and all that. I'm not going to go to someone who says, I really don't make that much money doing it, but this is what I'm going to go. Well, then you should be a professor at a, at a university <laughs> in all reality. I want to learn it's like, what do they call them in engineering or in electrical, like journeymen or journey masters or journeyman. What do you, journeyman? Yeah. You know, I go like, you know, we're stodging chefs. Like I go learn under this chef or I go learn. I want to learn under somebody who is rocking it. I don't want to learn. Now that's what we pride ourselves in because our team is still all working it. Like I said, have a restaurant. I am in the hotels working at the front desk. I am working room service. I am doing things with our clients. We are actually working. We are we go into hotels and we'll work in the sales department because they're turning over a team or there's a new owner and we work. 
So we can actually say, no, this is how it's done. Let me get on the phone and show you where if I was going to learn film from you, I, I'm going to learn by like whatever I have to learn about the, the stuff, but then the actual <laughs> yeah. shooting, I want to see you doing it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that this is where the, the, what you're saying, like work-life balance, here's the deal that has been around now for like 15. It didn't start just with COVID and COVID, it got terribly worse. Okay. I'd say 15 years before COVID, everybody was trying to have this work-life balance because and in our industry, hospitality, that industry screwed itself because what that, even when I was on property as a salesperson catering, they didn't care. We had GMs that were just ruthless. You got to be in your office by 7, 7.30. You cannot leave till 6. You know, if you're not on the phone 24-7, just booking like you're in, like, like, like Wall Street, right? Just bang, bang. Then you're not doing a good job. Didn't matter how much you brought in. There was just, and they changed the goalposts all the time. If you brought in this much, they raised the goal. There was so much angst in that industry. You'd work all weekend long, every holiday, and then you'd have to beg for a Tuesday off, right? Then the second thing they did was they didn't appreciate working parents. Dads or moms. Okay? It's all so, about parents. That's, that's right. Yeah. And they didn't care. And so, because all of these GMs way back then, they all had wives that stayed home, right? No kidding, because I worked for them. And, you know, I was married eight years before I had our daughter, and I was already a director of sales and marketing. And I knew I was not going to be a stay at home mom. I was coming back to work. I took three months off, and that was even too long. I was like pacing. Because, you know, once they're older, it's like great. But, you know, when they're just like laying there, and it was like kind of like, <laughs> wow, what are we doing next? That's what yeah, I always I mean, say. I was not. I you I get roasted not, for that saying that. <laughs> what? People don't like that we say that. <laughs> I say true. that because I was the mom. I was literally like, I got fat. My parents, first I had his parents there for two weeks, my parents there for two weeks, <laughs> eating more pies and cakes and literally playing and, you know, and no lie. And so I, I'm telling you, I was like dying to get back to work, but I took the three months off the bonding and all that. But the idea is, the, the leaders back then didn't give a rip, okay? So even as I came up in that industry, and I'm a bit of a scrappy fighter, I had a nanny, okay? And I insisted I have a nanny and because I was, I was running a huge hotel. I had big goals. I had to travel. Lefty, my husband, traveled. So I couldn't, our parents lived on the other side of the country. So it's like, I talk to people all the time. They're like, oh, it's so great because my parents take care of the baby on Monday, Wednesday, and then his on Tuesday and Thursday. Then I work from home on Friday. And I'm like, how do you work from home with the baby? Like the little, Rah! it's bad enough with a dog. A dog, you can at least let, open the door and let it go out. But you can't be a free range parenter. You know, you got to like do something. So if you're on the biggest call of your life, you can't say, oh my God. Um, my baby is screaming. Okay. Now COVID allowed that to be natural. Everybody was like, that's okay. Here's what happened though. They lost sight of work. They lost sight of work because right now, a lot of people that are on salary working from home, not everyone. So nobody getting mad. We're, or we're paying them all a hundred dollars an hour okay. for actual work. No, they're not. Don't get mad about this. I know for a fact, because I have done so many 
literally interviews with companies that are saying we need our people back to work. They have to be in the office. Look at you two. You're sitting across from each other, brainstorming, chatting, collaborating. You cannot do this from this, okay? But this that we're doing, this Zoom, is one hour. So what happens is if Fridays I work from home because I have that option now, I actually do laundry, I check emails, I take the baby for a walk, I walk the dog, I go to Pilates, and the Pilates has a little baby care place, and and then I answer a couple more emails. I'm not working, okay? And anybody can argue this. Now, if you're on straight commission, straight commission, which is what my husband was on his entire career, okay, straight commission, then you've got to work because if you don't work, you don't make any money, okay? If you don't work, you don't make any money. And I think that the biggest issue, I just got to check one thing. Okay. The biggest issue is that many of these people aren't on straight commission. They are working for a paycheck. And so it's now they're entitled, entitled to be able to have this flexibility. So in entrepreneurship, which is a lot of your people on that, they've got to understand that work-life balance is you've got to take how much money do you want to make to live a great life, whatever you want to live. Because I love when people say, I want the Mercedes, I want the house, I want the vacation home, okay, but I only want to work this much. So you have to financially figure out what is that going to take. And the biggest issue, you've got to bank this cash. Like right now, we don't know what tomorrow holds. Nobody, nobody, not nobody, because we were prepared. Lefty and I kept our company going, kept our employees. They took a 30% cut in pay, but they kept going. We paid their insurance and we're a small company. We kept our restaurant open. We kept everybody working. Who do you think took the cut in pay? Us. Zero money came to us for literally two years, to the two of us. It went into the business, it paid our team, we kept it going, we have all the same people. Now, most of those entrepreneurs that say, I only wanna do 10 weddings a year, I only wanna do five, I wanna be self-sufficient. If the rug gets pulled out tomorrow, you're done. Yep, You're done. Well, and, and here's the key thing to understand. You're explaining a world that none of us have ever lived in, if you're a creative. You've never ever had Anyone who would give you insurance, probably, no. or anything. You have no child care. Most the most wedding filmmakers, I believe, the average salary is about like sixty k. Not horrible. Yeah. Like you're making a living. No. But like you're not rich. You don't have you don't. If you are passionate about this industry, you're not banking a bunch of extra cash. I don't understand the mentality or the thinking that comes with. Like I always say, I believe in work-life boundaries. Yeah, that's, I say, and that is a great line. But there is no balance. It's like saying like, I'm a farmer who believes in work-life balance. It's like, no, you plant in planting season, you reap in reaping season. And there are times where you just do neither because you can't. Right. The, you get while the getting's good. Right, and, and I have a farm. So I know I make, I have a 200 acre cattle farm. One year we do corn, one year we do soybeans. And I know I don't look like a farmer, but I'm going there on Sunday. Hell yeah. Like we have someone farming with us, but if we have drought, 
We don't have, we're not like Napa with all these big sprinkler systems over our grapes. If we have drought, that corn doesn't grow. If it's not knee high by the 4th of July, we are screwed. And this is what people don't get. And they think, and I love when they go, oh, farming, that must be easy. I'm like, oh, wow. <laughs> oh what? <laughs> Who says that? Man, farming is psycho hard. People in New York. <laughs> New yeah. York City. Like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, I love, I love work-life boundaries. I'm going to use that. That's good. I'll give you credit. That's yeah, good. That is exactly like me. I do not. I have my phone when I'm out to dinner and I'm with dinner with my husband or my daughter. I just was in Boston. I was with her and we had dinner. My phone is, is on, on mute. It's not on going to ring and bother people, but I'm looking at it because I have trainers all over the world. So I have people in Vietnam. I'm not, I got to look in case I see if one of my trainers are calling, they need something. Okay. I will step out of the restaurant, take the call, but I don't have it on ring. There's no bings, tings, nothing. I am focused on my dinner. I'm focused. And that's a boundary. I'm not like taking every call. It's just the ones I know, right? I'm going to absolutely take it because a trainer is going to need to, it'd be like somebody working for you shooting a wedding and they're in the middle of the wedding and they need some expertise. You better give it to them now or it's not good. Yeah. My, my fear is this whole, you know, philosophy about like, work-life balance and people not going to work and becoming, you know, lazy and just, you know, becoming more European. Uh, no offense to our European listeners. Um, but uh, it, it kind of comes at like the beginning of this whole AI trend, which oh. at the end of the day, it's going to replace people. We were talking a little bit about it before, you know, we started. Um, how do you see AI affecting hospitality, you know, in the next okay. three years, five years, whatever? Yeah. So it's so funny to bring this up on in, in two weeks. I'm speaking in Vegas at a huge round table um, with hotel and casino execs about this. So I look at, first of all, let's just go back to no crib in the bedroom. <laughs> okay. We check it. Okay. All right. They have all the technology now to do some of that stuff, right? What AI is going to do is going to replace, which it already has in some cases, um, transactional employees. So you call the airline, you get the bot, they talk to you, they ask you information, and they can help you with simple things. But if you're like me, I'm always hitting, I want, I want a person, I got to talk to a person, because nothing I want is that easy. Otherwise, I just do it online, right? So the key is that you are going to replace that sort of transactional, where AI will help elevate or technology itself, whether it's, you know, open AI or ChatGPT, and we'll come back to that because that's a whole, ChatGPT is scary to me. But anyway, what it will do is when you call to make your reservation, there's going to be a whole dossier on you. And then they're going to know, You're like you dial and it pulls it up right away. Do you see what I'm saying? How and is that not already happening? <laughs> yeah, but it's already happening at a clunky level. Yeah. Clunky. Okay. So I think what has to be realized by all these hospitality people is that they might be able to replace some employees, but then they should beef up for the frontline experience. Yes. Because if you, if everything's seamless in the reservation because a robot did it and there's no human air and everything's perfect, if I then get there to check in 
And even if I've checked in on an iPad or an iPhone and I don't have to see anybody, I can go right to my room, use my phone as the key, okay? I still am going to go to the bar. I still want a craft cocktail. I don't want a robot behind the bar, okay? This is where, to me, I would be scared to death if I was an order taker or transactional. Like, and copywriters. I think about people like that are copywriters. I mean, you go on ChatGPT and say, write an article about, you know, plants and how plants, what do plants have to do with the, the you know, environment? And you get like 12 pages. You and know, that's scary. I think one of the things that always sticks out to me that relates to all parts of the wedding industry, hospitality, even filmmaking, and just specifically making films, is technology will always, if you're a great artist, it will always make you, it, will, it, will, it can make you better. Maybe not always, but it, it, it will make you better. If you're a bad artist, it'll make you worse, right? And it, Because I think it always comes down to love and caring. Like, I agree. Like when you go into a hotel or to a wedding, if all the easy stuff is easy, that means, okay, there's more room for you to notice my kid. Right. There's more room to notice the things that I ordered for breakfast every morning. There's more room to notice those things. And people who get that, people who take the advantage of the technology and even filmmaking, it, it's coming into our industry, making things easier. Take, that e take the layups that technology gives you but realize it comes with a cost with everyone in our entire society, which is they now expect you to actually pay attention to them because they are experiencing the ease too. All of us have all this free time. Like when I call and I have to give the same information to the person at the front desk, I'm not going to lie. I'm incredulous. Like, Oh, I love it. Yeah. It makes me, I'm always like, why do I have to tell you this eight times? Like, yeah. it, you know, it came up when I called you. Or like, how about the second I call you and I give you my name, pull my stuff up right away. Right. Don't make me right. explain crap to you because I'm calling you and I'm paying for this room. And like, because I know that it's actually easy for them. And I know right. that and they literally- the problem. Yes. And they the chose problem not to do it because they didn't think I would call them out. Right. And, and what I love the example, if you're good, AI will make you better. If you're bad- it's going to make you worse, really, because it you're, it's going to highlight everything you're bad at. Yeah, yeah. How I, is it coming in? What is it happening like in filming? And what is AI like? What's your thoughts on AI and probably more more so with with editing at this point? But the way that I see it, and and I think it directly applies to hospitality, is like there's all these big chains, all these big like wedding videography chains, you know. And what they do poorly is customer service because they just can't, like, they can't have the staff to be able to get back to people. Like, they're, they're just all contractors. Huge. They're all contractors and, and whatever. And the little guy has an advantage of being personable and all these things. They can, like, my wife uh, just joined our team. She's, she's our executive assistant now. Um, and she's a freak. She's like, as soon as someone reaches out, she's on their Facebook page. She's like, they have a dog. They have blah, 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 blah. She's freaky. It's awesome I love it. for me. Is that um, is that Sammy? Yeah, Sammy. Yeah. Well, no, different. Oh, Sammy. no, different Sammy. We, we have, have two Sammys. Sammys. Oh, different Sammy. Two Sammys. Yeah. I love it. I know. Uh, but she um and she's like feeding this to me, like, hey, you know, here's some information about them, whatever. Um, 
if you're a big company, you currently can't do that kind of work. But I, I foresee something like an AI being able to feed salespeople. It simulates hospitality. Just do a quick skim of the internet, pull it all in and be like, oh yeah, you know, and as a salesperson, like I do all of our sales and it's like, that's something that I would totally take advantage of immediately, but it's hard. It's hard. Like I don't have the time to go on. And so it's just a time saver. Like you said, I mean, it's just going to be, but like I do wonder if those will be able like advantage of it. small chain, those large, there's like in our industry, there's these large filmmaking national chains that they actually don't make anything. They don't edit anything. They don't shoot anything. Yep. All they do is sell weddings and then contract out the work. Yep. So, Oh wow. Oh yeah. They're the, there's been seven of them that have went out of business, probably canceled over 10,000 weddings in the last four years. Yeah. It's one of the yeah, biggest yeah. scams that no one knows about. Um, wow. And so those okay. companies will, because what they do is they sell a wedding film for half the price of anyone else. And because it's the consumer is the most uneducated person in the world because they've never gotten a wedding film before. They right. don't know how much they should cost. They don't know that $1,500 for a photo and video for eight hours of coverage is ridiculous. And these, yeah. and these companies are literally fine because they operate on 15% margin and they just literally just book every single thing that comes through the door. They will literally give you like, they'll sometimes be like, oh, it's three grand. But if you book us full upfront, we'll give it to you for 1500 and then they just hire any Tom, Dick, or Harry to come yeah. along. I always feel bad that I use Tom, Dick, or Harry. Yeah, I mean, those guys, you know, <laughs> nobody's going to name their kids that anymore. But, like, in general, so that in, so I think what will happen is those companies will be more emboldened. And yeah. more capable of simulating an artist's hand-holding. And maybe they'll even just not have any, like, of these contractor salespeople. Yeah, because so they so this could actually help them then. Yeah, oh, it'll help oh, yeah. them destroy other people, which is why I am always telling the people in our industry, if you run your own business, you need to like and you're a filmmaker, you're guaranteed basically not rich. You don't have a bunch of cash in your pocket. You're a laborer. So get to work like you better yeah. grind your like you. You are not going to have like the cash you talked about. Good luck having yeah. a bunch of cash when you have a ten thousand dollar annual gear overhead out of an eighty thousand dollar income. Right. Right. And you're not working that much. And you're That's not working you that much. Right. Yeah. People right. people will be like, oh, well, I've heard these conversations. People are like, well, I'm an artist. A.I. won't be able to replace artists. And my argument was like, no, but some national chain who can A.I. everything to death will be able to find random shooters to replace you using and do AI. it for ha using AI and, you know, do it for half as much as, as what you would charge and you'll just be replaced. That's how you'll be replaced. Not actual physically. You still need someone there. It'll just be a different person. Not you. It might so. also when it, when it gets, it's not really into editing. The problem with AI right now is AI doesn't have any taste. Yeah. It's not right. a human right. It's not a human being and it doesn't know the difference between good art and bad art. Oh it my just, god, that I gotta write that down. Yeah. AI has no taste. It just doesn't know, and like that's what art is. Is like it's sophistication. Yeah. Like I or work, class. No taste or class. No taste or class. And I'm work like I'm doing some AI music generation now for a YouTube video. I'm trying to come up with an AI, totally AI created wedding film. AI couple, AI animated, AI generated music, oh, every single thing. Oh my god, that's so funny. <laughs> and just for fun. And the music is horrible. Like it can't make art. It, it it's it, it's like when the aliens come to Earth and they try to take over humans, 
in the movie, and then they real they realize that our superpower is our human heart. Yeah, and we oh we win because we have the human spirit. Yeah. It's like it can make things utilitarian wise, but it can't replace love. It can't replace being passionate. It can't replace like having a style or a perspective. It has no perspective. And art is based on having a perspective. So I yeah. think I think ideally, like I I think we're relatively safe. But there's some little things. I love the AI video, though. That's great. It'll be funny. Hopefully. It'll yeah. pr- we'll, we'll be lucky if a thousand people watch it. But, <laughs> you know. Um, well, send it to me. I'll post it. I'll nice. send it out there. So uh, but as we're kind of closing up, um, Cindy, you know, this is what I was going to ask you. So obviously you're not in the industry. So this industry or like not in this side of the industry. So this advice is just your basic advice on how like with entrepreneurs and sales like okay we're kind of telling people not to live be abused by their jobs not to live in a unhealthy way um but to really really care about sales and to be really pragmatic when they're thinking about their businesses don't be a dreamer really focus and be realistic so sales is important what is the number one sales tip you give to people in the hospitality industry uh well, basically, it's persistence. It is, it is never ever stopping. You could make a ton of money this month, and then say, "Oh, that's great! I can kind of relax next month." It's persistence. It's consistent, repeatable persistence. Um, I'm sure you watched the the Jordan Air, the Michael Jordan Air. Did oh, you yeah. see the Air movie? Have you seen it? Like, I love it. Persistence, right? You don't give up, and most salespeople that are that are artists or in hospitality they don't sometimes think like that and so there's like we say it takes six to seven times to talk to a prospect before they become a customer and that could take a year okay now a little different if you're shooting like a wedding and that they're getting married but remember i said there's a customer behind every customer so for every wedding you shoot there should be three or four more leads behind that wedding. Literally, right. that's our entire business model, Cindy. Yeah, I tell people all the time. All right. I, I yeah. say that all the time. Yeah. And so what we always say is you have to stay so focused on the the drive. So all your tough calls have to be made before noon. Uh, you've got, we make our sales team has to do a hundred touch points a week. I don't care about a call report cause I can look in Salesforce and see every, all your activity, what you're doing. But every week from our, we have five salespeople, I get a status report and it's new from new, new from old and new from existing. So if I don't see any new from new on there, if they're just keeping the same churning, we have a ton of repeat customers, uh, I want, I want to know what's going on. So we build our new business. Now we're not just in one segment because, you know, hospitality is 60% and corporate is 40. So we work with real estate companies and hospitals, um, automotive, still on sales, service and leadership, but a hundred touch points I want. And that doesn't mean you're just sending email. I want you talking, touching, having a call like this, that sort of thing. So if you don't have grit, seriously, sales is not for the faint hearted. You got to you got to kiss a lot of frogs before you get to the prince. Right. 
Yep. And you got to enjoy it. Like, I love it. I mean, to me, no is never no. Unless somebody said to me, if you don't, if you call me again, I'm going to call the cops. I'd be like, oh, okay. <laughs> and then, you know, then I would just like trace it up to call them like in six months because they'll be fired too. So yeah. it's, it doesn't really matter. You just keep going and going and going. Yep. I think we call that um, a referral tree. Um, yeah. Is like you need every wedding you shoot, there is a referral that can come from it. Every single but the time. problem yeah. is, is a lot of people, it'd be like, I use this example a lot in the podcast, Jared, is like, you get three strikes, you're out. And that affects your batting average. But what if you got 100 strikes? What if you could swing right. at 100 pitches? And, right. and you and, and what if like only home runs counted? And you could just keep, like, people don't give themselves enough swings at the plate for no reason. They, they artificially, right. it's like they swing at the plate one time and they're like, He's like, no, you can still go. He's like, no, I'm out. I'm out. Yeah, I I'm tried out. it once. It didn't work. I yeah, tried, I it, tried once, it once. It didn't work. And, um, do you remember that book's Ultimate Sales Machine, Jared? Yeah. And he talks about like the number one quality of a good salesperson is they have high empathy, high grit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My empathy is not that high, but my grit's good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but they basically say like by empathy, they define it like you can understand the customer's problem. Oh, yeah. I have care, that. You yeah. care about their problem, but you also never take no for an answer. What is the book, The Ultimate Selling? The Ultimate Sales Machine. It's kind of oh, old. Oh, yeah, I think I've, yeah, it's an older book. I've read that. Yeah, it's yeah, good. yeah. It was, it was a good book. It yeah. was really influential in my life. And we did it, we read it early in our wedding business. And it really helped us define what it means to sell. And we tell people all the time, it's like, I go, how many referral, how many leads did you get? Oh, I got 60 leads. And you booked 30 weddings? You're screwed. <laughs> That's a 50% close rate. That's an unsustainable close rate. Right. Like I'm right. on my close. I w failure is a sign that you're doing it right. If you have 15% close rate and you're still making enough money, you actually are talking to enough people to right. sustain your business. And I think that's a big thing. So, Hey, Cindy, very appreciate your time. Very cool. Yeah. Oh, you, I loved it. Thank you guys so much for having me on. Yeah, it was awesome. So if you enjoy that, where can people find what you do, Cindy? Uh, it's Cindy Novotny at masterconnection.com or on Instagram. I'm Cindy underscore Novotny, LinkedIn, Cindy Novotny, Facebook, Cindy Novotny. I was in early, so I'm just Cindy Novotny, but Master Connection Associates is the company. And uh, I would love to share this with all of ours. So as soon as you, you know, finalize it, send it our way and then we'll post it as well. Yeah. And, we, and then oh, we yeah. can become rich. Yeah. <laughs> you can get a lot of leads. Great. I like, I want to be rich. I want to make a lot of money. I mean, I, I, I would like to make a lot of money too. Uh, I picked yeah. the wrong industry, I think, Jared, but. That's all right. As long as you know, you, you're going, you're going in the right direction. You're still young. You got little kids. Keep moving. It'll work. Thank yeah. you so much. That's right. Hey, Cindy, uh, thank you so much. And if you enjoyed that, subscribe, do all the podcast stuff. Do you want to say anything? Do you want to say bye to people? Uh, no, uh, a couple things. Uh, we do have two YouTube channels, guys, so make sure you're checking out the Wedding Film School, first YouTube channel. The Wedding Film School show is where you can find this podcast along with all of our other podcasts, hundreds of podcasts uh, that we've done over the years. And uh, make sure you're checking that out. Our Facebook group is alive and well, very active, uh, lots of new people. I think we're probably bringing in close to like 50 people a week now jay so yeah it's, it's, say it's growing over there Seventeen thousand people in a facebook group hundred seventy thousand people on youtube yep. and 11k That's on the good. one so you go check it out if you like wedding filmmaking content and you like um not people who i don't have a product to sell you my product is you being successful so go check it out
Thank you guys for joining. We'll see you again next week on the Wedding Film School Show. Bye, guys. <laughs>